glad you're here today. Uh, how to impact your community. One of our um, engaging your community. One of the in the Ohio for Jesus plan uh, under church multiplication. One of the sides outside of just being with recruiting and, and planting churches is uh, engaging your community, having the conversation about uh, if everybody can be part of Ohio for Jesus. Everybody can be part of planting churches. Everybody can do these. But it steps back to say, listen, if you're, whether you're planting a church or you're pastoring and leading a church that you're in or you're part of a church um, that you're in right now, how do you engage your community? And we have, we have gone to the big time here. These three guys, they're mm. going to they're gonna lay it out today mm. for you. Mm. You know, really, here, I'll just be, I'll say this. On behalf, we don't all have it figured out. Right. And they're just going to give you what they know. And it may not be the best, or maybe maybe you have some ideas and some things, and we're, we're going to ask questions. This is a, uh, we're all going to, I want you to participate. My job is to help facilitate today. My name is Josh, uh, and I'm considered a rural church strategist uh, for OCMN, and then also uh, with Ohio Church Multiplication, and I'm a presbyter in Northwest Ohio. And uh, with each one of these guys will introduce themselves, give a little context of where they're from, and uh, what they're doing. And it'll take about five, seven minutes each to kind of lay that out. And uh, what, are you, what are you going through? You know, you looked at this group and said, yeah, right, right? Okay. And uh, so we'll, uh, we'll get five or seven minutes to talk about. And what I want you to do is just be, uh, I want you to be able to be ready to answer, ask some questions. And say, hey, can you expand on that a little bit? Can you tell me what you mean by that? It's all like no question is a bad question. The only bad question is the one that's not asked. And so we want you to help out, and, and you may be able to fill in and say, hey, we do something similar to that. And so there will be some how-tos, uh, we'll talk some whys, we'll talk about some specifics from there, and um, anything from there. When you came in today, let me just ask this, what, what just a couple people, what, what's a, something if you can walk out of here today, having uh, some specific information, a specific nugget, what, what is something you are hoping to gather from this group today? This is how we're going to start. It's going to be an awful quiet class. No. How to engage your community. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Effective ways to engage. Effective ways, tried, true, times. Yeah. What else? I heard some. That'll be good. That'll be good. Each one of these guys will be good on each one of them. Anybody else? Some other nuggets that you're hoping to be able to walk away? How to. Engage millennials, that next generation. <laughs> Tom, they've already volunteered you for that one. <laughs> no. All right. Well, let's get started here. And I'm going to, who wants, we'll, we'll go age before beauty. So that's what Sean said. Yes. So Gary, Gary Gray, the, uh, been up at Highway Tabernacle for seven years. And uh, so Gary is one of our presbyters as well. And uh, is he all right if he stays seated? Are you all right with that? You can just kind of shift a little bit. And that way they can see you. All right, so as you said, my name's Gary. I've been at Highway Tabernacle, moved here from Florida. I thought I've had sick of that sunshine. It's time for some good weather. I'm going to Ohio. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was listening to what you guys were saying. Um, and if, if I could, I'd like to set just a little bit of biblical framework for um, something. I. It seems like we have a lot of, give me an idea, give us uh, an event or a strategy. 
I'd really like to set a sort of, for, for me, it all kind of comes back to a philosophical, understand, biblical philosophical understanding, if you don't mind. So let me just give you these things, because I think it really sets the tone for everything um, about our uh, engaging our community from an individual basis. So out of Luke chapter 10, uh, in the first nine verses, it's all about Jesus sending out the 70. But I think there un therein lies uh, sort of the basis for why and how we do it. I'll, I'll do quick. Uh, but picking up where Jesus said, now whatever house, after he sent them out and gave him some instructions, he said, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you, which is a cruel thought in itself. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. It's image of God right there, my brother. And heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So let me just tell you what I believe. It's kind of a, kind of a fourfold uh, underpinning for engaging your city, and I'm not talking about your church as much as I am. It does, it does apply to your church, but you as an individual. First thing that I think Jesus was saying was, is you bless, you don't bake. He said, whatever house you enter, say to them, peace be unto this house. In other words, do something that they need. Uh, you know, I'm not, and, 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 and we haven't talked at length, I'm not, I'm not full of great ideas. This is the thing that we did. This is the event that we did. But Jesus sent them out and said, give them something they need. Bless them. Speak a blessing. Don't check to see if they're good enough. Don't check to see if they measure up, Gentile, Jew, whatever. Just bless them. Speak peace over this house. And then he said this, and this is really the crux for me. Second part, second for me, the underpinning for the whole engaging your community is build friendships, not clientele. Build friendships, not clientele. Jesus said to them, stay in the house, eat and drink what they give you. The labor is worthy of his wages. Don't keep moving from house to house. Whatever city that you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. In other words, stay around and stay in their life long enough. Here's the, here's the fallacy about evangelism. If I have a great first shot, it's always going to work. Sometimes it's your ninth shot. It's your ninth interaction or your, uh, your interaction or you might be your 11th or your third but stay in their lives, build relationships. People will listen to you when they trust you. Third part of that, and this is really important for us as, as spiritual believers, after he said stay in the house, he said and heal those in it who are sick. Be supernatural, not superficial. Don't just give them your religious answer. Don't just tell them who you are and what we offer, but believe God will show up. It's really easy for somebody to receive the gospel after they've been healed. True? Yeah. It's really easy for somebody to understand that you care about them and that the God you're talking about cares about them if you pray for them and something changed in their house, something changed in their business. And then the last thing he said, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. In other words, you do all of those things, and then it's like you, peel, you can just kind of peel back the layer and say, by the way, the kingdom of God has come near. And when you say it then, when you preach it then, after you've loved them, you've built relationships with them, you pour something into their life that really matters, then when you present the gospel, it makes a difference. So for me, relational, one-on-one, -on -one, building relationships in people's lives, that's the key.
stand up just to make sure everyone can see me. They made me stand on a stage at church, and I didn't like it, but people couldn't see. So, um, My name is Tom Baxter. I uh, started a, a church about two years ago. It's a church plant. We meet in a school. Um, uh, we f- I feel like we're strong, but I always say if we sneeze, it's all going to go away, right? Mm-hmm. We have no assets, no long-standing reputation in the community, so our engagement with the community is everything. Some of you, your challenge is, your church is maybe has a negative perception in the community, right. or you're just seen as a sitting duck. You know, what, what, but no matter what it's like, there's always new be- beginnings, amen? And so you can change that perception. I'm learning that outreach has a name. It's not an event, it's not a project. Um, I can tell stories, we're having between four and seven interactions with people who end up coming to church and giving their lives to Jesus quality interactions, getting to know them. Um, you know, I can go to apartment complexes, and I know this is where Miss Paula lives, this is where Lamont lives, this is where Charlotte lives, this is where Tashara lives, and I'm visiting, knocking on those doors and continuing those connections. Um, we're learning that uh, to engage your community, you do it with, with questions. What are the needs in this community? What, right. what can happen? Uh, with leaders, you know, who are the leaders in your community? What can you do in partnership with the president of a community council, someone who's on a school board, with the residents you're trying to serve? If you're trying to serve people who are currently living below the poverty line, you want to do that with people who are currently living below the poverty line. So we don't come in as the church as a savior, but we do it with and in partnership with people. And then just with best practices, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There might be a mentoring or a tutoring program, a food pantry, uh, something that's helping foster an adoption crisis in our nation. You want to learn to leverage those best practices to to engage your community. And um, I'll give you just three kind of stories and approaches that we, we did. National Day of Prayer. Are you all familiar with the National Day of Prayer? Yes. Whole life being in church, here's how we approach the National Day, Day of Prayer. We invite church people to pray. So we go out in our community um, about a week in advance, and we say, hey, next week is the National Day of Prayer. We go into every business in our community. And we say, next week's the National Day of Prayer. We don't want to assume we know how to pray for you. How can we be praying for this business or for you as the manager? We go in Walgreens, we go in Fifth Third Bank, we go into the tattoo shop. You know, that the, the guy at the tattoo shop really opened up. There's no business that we don't go into. And so on the National Day of Prayer, we're giving our people a list of every business, every manager by name, and what their, their prayer need is. Second thing we've done is we do block parties that are apartment complex specific. So we don't set up shop in a, a park and hope that people will come. We build relationships with residents. We get to know the apartment manager. We ask for their blessing to do uh, a block party. We do that with residents who live there. We put on a meal and fun games for everyone and and we kind of build on that relationship. We've seen several families come to church as a result of that and give their lives to Christ and be a part of the uh, youth group. Third thing is we do things in partnership with businesses so in our community, Mount Washington, um, 
we only have two black-owned businesses, and our vision as a church is to be a racially reconciling church, so that was one of the great places we started. There's a business called Team Grinders. How many of you here would know what Team Grinders is, right? And so our whole community is like, what's Team Grinders? They're selling drugs out of there. That's a scary place. We don't have any, want to do anything with that. So of course, People's Church East wants to do stuff in partnership with Team Grinders, right? So we ended out groceries in the community, uh, we did backpacks for back to school, and we're changing the perception of that business, right, in our community because we're doing it with that business. So there's pictures, for example, of People's Church East and Team Grinders were outside of their building holding up bags of groceries, and then the community council is posting that on their uh, Facebook page. So that's just a few things that we're doing. I don't know which way this is going to wrap around. Let's try that. Okay, so um, I'm Sean, and I'm a pastor in Chillicothe, Ohio, which is about an hour south uh, of here. And um, there's 17,000 people who live in Chillicothe, uh, 68,000 at the 2010 census in the entire county of Ross County. So it's a smaller, uh, smaller community, smaller town. I moved there in 2005 from Kentucky, and. Uh, the church basically was non-existent in the community. Nobody knew where the church was. Anybody ever had that before? Uh, you ask around, hey, do you know where Chillicothe First Assembly is? No, is it a new church? No, it's been here since 1937. Just down the road. So I uh, spent a lot of time to um, try to get the feel for the community, the feel for the city, and um, build some relationships. I'm glad Gary said that and Tom too, because I believe the gospel rides the best on the bridges of relationships. And so... Uh, I spent the first five years just kind of investing myself and my time into uh, the community. So business owners, um, superintendents, school board members, I tried to find out who all those were and on purpose bump into them at ball games, introduce myself. Um, hey, what do, you, what do you feel like is going on in the city? Uh, how, how do you feel about our county? And try to get that whole um, inference from them of what the general vibe was for the city. And then uh, we tried to make a plan to invest in the three spheres of influence. I'm sure you've heard about this, spiritual, social, and cultural. So um, how can we affect this city spiritually? How can we affect this city socially? And how can we affect the city culturally? And those take different uh, connectors in all of those, all of those areas. Um, I went to my local ministerial association meeting and uh, was left very unimpressed. I don't know if you have a great one, but uh, uh, we started a rogue group of ministers meetings in secret away from the ministerial association of people who had like minds to really affect the city. We weren't, we weren't interested in meeting together and paying dues and uh, punching clocks. So from that, um, in 2010, we started conversations that led us all the way up to 2012 of beginning what's called the Hope Clinic uh, in Ross County. And that is free health care for everybody. It is, uh, it is the sanctified version of Bernie Sanders of what we're doing uh, in Ross County. And because we had a, a group of nine pastors who said, why don't we do a missions project here and let's see what is the brokenness of our city. And, and folks, I tell you, when you stop looking at the religious side and what everybody expects you to do, you say, okay, what's broken in my city? What's broken in, in my county? 
Um, two, two scriptures, I'm glad Gary shared that, two scriptures that, that really drove us was Jeremiah 29, where he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. For in its prosperity you'll find your prosperity, and in its peace you'll find your peace, and in its welfare you'll find your welfare. And then the thought that God, when he looks at Chillicothe, Ohio, how many churches does he see? One. The answer is one church. The body of Christ in that city. You ever notice in Revelation when he writes... He doesn't write to 25 different churches, to the church in Thyatira, to the church in Laodicea. And so if he was writing to us, it would be to the church in Chillicothe. And so we said, hey, guys, we may not worship the same, but we can serve our city together. And um, we, we found out how many doctors or nurses or lab techs that we had in our churches. We went to them, had a meeting, had a lunch for them, and said, hey, would you be interested in signing on to this? All of them instantly. And then it was, hey, can I ask my friend if he wants to serve? Can I ask her if she wants to serve? Sure. So we launched it in 2012, and it's still going every Monday night. Free health care. Um, and, and what we get is, is working middle-class people who couldn't afford health care. Um, and they would come, and we went to all the businesses around. We have Kenworth and Mead Paper Mill. Those are the two big factories in town. And asked them if they would help subsidize and they jumped right on board. Uh, within you know, within two weeks, we had $125,000 in checks from, from those two companies. And then we had small businesses as well. We had a hospital donate an x-ray machine. So moving on up to 2019, uh, we have 25 churches now that participate in Hope Clinic. We feed people every Monday night, free healthcare, blood checks. Three pharmacies have given us so much money we can have for prescriptions, so the people who can't afford their medicines get their medicines filled. We have a, two dentists now that have joined and three uh, optometrists. So we offer free dental, free eye care, and free health care uh, every Monday night, totally supported by the local businesses and the churches. It has no government uh, influence at all. And our doctors and nurses all count that as missionary work uh, and, and home missions. So um, to say that we to, that that's our success story, sure, uh, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, the, the second uh, scripture that drove us was Ephesians 3.10. that says, God's manifest wisdom is made known through the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. And so I looked at that and I said, well, when the demons want to know what God's doing, they go to church, right? So why shouldn't we? The wisdom of God should be made known through the church. And so uh, we began looking at school. Um, you know, how do we get in a tutor? So we established two after-school tutoring programs. Our older people that are retired are active in that. We have like 25 people that go and tutor kids after school. They started a buddy initiative where they asked, the school superintendents come to our church and ask, can you send people during the day to help our kids read and, uh, and study? And so um, that's been kind of our, our inclusion into that uh, social realm. Uh, cultural realm, uh, opioid crisis. If our city's ever on the news, it's because we have missing women in a high uh, opioid crisis. 67% are addicted to not only opioids, but prescription drugs in our county. And so uh, we're trying, we're pushing as hard as we can and engaging as many people as we can, um, both business and church, because my heart is to have the Ezra's and Nehemiah's work together. Or the, or the wall can't be rebuilt, right? So I have more uh, to share with you, and I think Josh Phillips still please some questions. Let me ask this. I, I've got some questions I'm going to ask, too, just to keep this going. Uh, 
when you when you're talking about assessing your community, you figure out like you know the Sean, you just talked, you had multiple things there. You know, you're talking about saying, how do you guys? Is there tools that you have used or practices that you've used to find out what the needs are in your community? Any anyone? You know, we, so in our, our community in Cincinnati, Ohio, there's 52 neighborhoods in Cincinnati proper. Um, our, we use the language intentionally, you know, we want to be thriving in Mount Washington and beyond. So we're going to get our community right before we just do a social media campaign or marketing to the city as a whole. And so we started prayer walking in our neighborhood, uh, went around and I had a missions team count by hand how many apartments were in our community. There's over a hundred apartment buildings in Mount Washington. And then we started building relationships with residents and literally just knocking on doors. We'd come with bread, milk, and eggs. So uh, super cheap, half gallon. And I use the language, we want to encourage you today, not bless you. I, I don't know. Yeah, I just think I blessing you. is a yeah. kind of an older language. And um, it just opened up a dialogue, right, with people. And that's kind of when we started learning about some of the needs. Like an example of a need in our community that's a long-term play to solve. Um, residents living in Section 8 housing don't have transportation, and the local businesses aren't hiring them. And the local businesses aren't hiring them because they're concerned that if they work at Wendy's or the dollar store, they're going to give other residents free things. And so we need to work on that long term. How do we solve that challenge? So other thing is we ask questions to the resource coordinators in the school. That's really been significant in figuring out the needs in our, our community. And then community council, community development, uh, you know, connecting with them. So, so yeah, we pulled, um, we pulled from the census, of course. Um, that's when we found out that out of 72 thousand residents of Ross County, 56,000 answered in 2010. They have no faith or religious connection at all, zero. And so um, that kind of solidified our meetings together. 56,000 people, if they all got saved, came to church on Sunday, we couldn't hold them all. I'm not worried about your sheep, my sheep. We got 56,000 people that don't know Jesus. And so uh, let's go get them. Uh, and then school service uh, coordinators, you, you know, whoever your local school uh, service workers are hit those as quick as you can they have the pulse on what's going on at school more so than the superintendent or the principal uh, your school service is that a, uh, is that a yeah, counselor is that yeah so that she is. takes care of, um, uh, uh, of having all the statistics numbers of kids that come from single parent homes uh, kids that are living with their grandparents because mom dad's in prison or whatever's going on she's got all those numbers um, and that it's like a plethora of information uh, that you can get uh, from her, you can't get the names, but you get the numbers and see where the brokenness is and, and the needs. Um, and then we have, you know, programs. We we just sought out. Okay, what kind of programs are here? We you know we have a homeless count that goes around and counts the homeless, and those that are uh, couch surfers. We we do that uh, once every eight months in Ross County, so we get those numbers pretty regular. And then we have um, Bridges Out of Poverty, which is another uh, group that trains people how to have job skills and trade skills. That's also uh, volunteered by the area churches. Uh, we host that once a quarter, so people can go and learn a job skill. Here's how you get into the job market. Um, and so we just pull all of our numbers from, we let everybody else do the work. And then when we get together, uh, we just have those, those folks come. We invite them to the table and say, hey, share your information, share what's going on uh, with, with that area that you work in. 
uh, all the way to Good Sam, uh, you know, Red Cross, all, all those people are already there in your city, your community, and they have tons of information. And so um, just build a relationship with them. People are ready to talk to you if they think you're willing to help. Um, and uh, we, we decided wherever we go, we're going to establish the presence of Jesus. We don't have to have uh, a Bible hit people over the head, but they're going to know Jesus was there when we go serve here or go serve there, uh, wherever that is. So um, we just pull information from other people. I would just add uh, that much of what we, we do and hope to do in our community comes out of the people who are already at the church seeing the needs and we listen. I know there's some pastors in the room and there's some of you are not pastors, but uh, if, everybody in, if everybody in the body, uh, if, 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 and I'm trying to learn to listen, uh, but you know, like for instance, our, probably our, I would say maybe our most effective uh, outreach uh, and inreach into the community has to do with special needs. And that really was born out of, uh, we, just, we had a little bit of a desire, Rhonda and I did, uh, but then God raised up people within our church who saw it, and now they connected with Easter Seals. They connected with the local YMCA, and now they're doing training there. Uh, but it all came out of people in the church, not waiting on the pastor to figure it all out, but with a humble servant's heart come and saying, I see this need. And uh, out, of, out of the families in the church, being connected to the community kind of opened doors for ministry. Yeah, that's good. So hold that right there. You hold that right. So what the question, a lot of you aren't serving as pastors in this room. So how does, how do I communicate that vision or what, what I feel God's saying to me, if I'm sitting in as not as the pastor, how do I communicate to that, to my pastor to share or to not say this, take this and go with it. But how do I, how does somebody in the pew communicate that vision to the pastor that it's, like in a compelling way, you know, like somebody yeah, communicated yeah, yeah. to you and then you're like, oh, I saw that. So what, yeah. should they expect them to be like, oh yeah, let's go and then sell the, you know, sell the farm to them or what's that process maybe an individual can go through? Yeah, I would say for me, hearing it up close changes everything. By that I mean somebody standing on the outside pointing and telling me what I should do or anybody else should do, their voice just isn't that loud. But if you're in the middle of it serving with me, standing alongside, putting your family involved. Uh, and I think you know, our special needs families now that are, that are involved, uh, they were in the middle of it and they just simply came and, and they started doing something. They, they brought solutions, not just problems. And they would say, if we did this, or can we do that? And uh, you know, I tried to, uh, and we sure don't have it all figured out, but we tried to just have an attitude of, uh, if, it's in your, if it's in your heart, God is smarter than any single person Certainly, the pastor, and uh, not no, no, nothing about you, Chuck. But I mean, just <laughs> no. But God is God is God. There's so much wisdom within the body of Christ, and so many ideas that are there that they just need to get a place to go. But for me, saying it from up close means I'm not from a distance pointing my finger, telling me what you're doing wrong. I'm serving alongside of you, trying to say what we can do better. Yeah, made a, made a world of difference for me. I think that's the big connect, disconnect. Make sure that we do walk through that and get close, and not just telling hey, you need to do this. That word you need to bring it back around. Yes, question. I'm not sure if this is the right platform to ask this question, but I have uh, a couple emails that have been addressed to me from pastors concerning the virus and what the involvement of the church mm -hmm. should be 
should the so should the church be involved in what's going on right now? Right. And I mean, engaging the community. Any place where people gather that they're talking about, there should be some yeah. kind of dialogue to kind of uh, settle the fears that people might have in coming to church as long as there, there's, there's much going on with that violence. So I'm not sure if this is the proper platform, but since we're talking about community, it, it is impacting yeah, yeah, yeah. us as well. Yeah, so I... I think that whatever um, affects the community, whatever's in their heart and mind, should be addressed from from the house of the Lord. So, yeah. uh, the deal that that I did, and and we're blessed in this, that the chief of um, pulmonary care at our hospital attends our church. And so, uh, when this first kind of start started, uh, I've had him the past two weeks uh, at the beginning of service address the congregation of what is fear and what is fact. Uh, as far as the coronavirus. And um, that seems, especially my older people who were asking me, hey, Pastor, what are we gonna do? We're gonna close church, we're gonna cancel church um, because the media feeds constant fear. And so um, I think hearing from him, from, from that expert, and, and if you don't have a doctor uh, in your congregation, I would say reach out to your local hospital or, or care clinic and they'll be glad to come and, and address that. I think just not sweeping it under the rug, but at the same time not feeding into that is, is better. Uh, I think people appreciate that more uh, because both times he's addressed the congregation, it takes, takes about seven minutes at the beginning. Uh, people have told me they really appreciated hearing from, from Dr. Raj uh, concerning that. So it's been helpful, uh, helpful for at least my people, my group, and they've shared that with their friends. I don't know if there probably is a better way, but that's just how we did it. Yeah, so will you include a Q&A or a fact sheet? Yes. Yeah. So he, he gave out a sheet, and then he's, okay. he's in the foyer after service uh, at a little table. Anybody wants to stop by and ask questions, he's willing to do that with them. So you, you address something on the front side, which I think is a principle that we all can do, is you, you talked about that if it affects or impacts the community, we should be talking about it as the local church. Yeah, so you guys know this. Go back and read any history. Anything that affected the nation used to be was addressed from the pulpits all the way back from our founding. Uh, people went to the house of the Lord to hear what's God saying about this. Like, I know what my community is saying. What's God saying about this? I think we do a disservice not only to ourselves, but to the people who look to us for guidance when we just don't talk about those things. Um, because then it, it can feed into the whole fear thing. Like, maybe we don't have a plan. Maybe we don't know what we're going to do. Um, and let me say this, because I, I want to give these guys room to talk. But when I moved to Chillicothe, and, and I think this will help you, Take some time to find out what is your church's DNA for growth. What's built into your church that they do well. Don't try to copy anybody else. I mean, you might get some good ideas, but you've got to find out what your DNA is. When I was uh, young and playing sports, uh, our, our baseball coach you know, said, hey, guys, if you want to be an elite athlete, you know, it takes three things. Genetics, uh, work ethic, and coaching. And he said, you're only in control of one of those, your work ethic. And that put a lot of, okay, that's true. I'm not in control of my genetics. And sometimes you get a lousy coach. Sometimes you get a great coach. But I can control my work ethic. Mm -hmm. And I think that in every church, you have a built-in DNA for what you're good at, what you're going to grow in. And it was there long before you got there. It was already built into that church. Unless you plant it, then it's kind of your DNA. But yeah. 
find, you said that, but you find out, uh, man, God has already wired our church to grow in this direction. And so, Josh, to your question earlier, I said, I'll let's say this, when you said, how do you address the pastor? There's not a Sunday that goes by that I don't talk about that God called us to pastor this city or pastor this community. They hear it weekly from the pulpit from me. It's not about us. God calls you to pastor this community. And so there is such an openness for people to come and say, Pastor, did you know about this or did you hear about this or what are we doing to help this? Um, and, and it's kind of contagious, especially amongst your young people. Have you noticed young people are, if there's a social cause, they're on the front line, yeah. right? And so um, why don't you turn that energy into to Jesus moments? Man, we, we can be Jesus in this area. Can I? Can I do? Absolutely. Like run, go, and So um, it's there, and uh, you, said it, you said it well. Just find out what your church can do. Search out that DNA. Question? Yeah, Pastor Jason. So I think the, in the crux of this con the question, which will, I won't repeat everything I said, but in the crux of the question is, how do we, in the, in the society that we're in today, uh, most of, a lot of us, or was, I think I heard it, was maybe it was in the last class, we have this keyboard mentality where we, we post on Facebook or we do these things. There's this freedom for people to say things, one, because they don't have to look to them face to face. But then when, when we do say something, sometimes we're labeled as a bigot, hater, all these kind of things because of all the social uh, kind of th things out there. So how do we, and so then it causes people to pull back and not engage and maybe not make some of them, I'm kind of, we'll, I'll swing back around on some other side from there, but I want to, I think Tom, I'm gonna let you have you answer it. How do we encourage people, because it's maybe not always the big thing, but maybe you need to engage in your sphere of influence and to do that without people looking and say, well, I'm, they like you to say a Christian, well, they, there's all this maybe negative connotation towards mm -hmm. you, but how do you engage each individually? Is that, I think, I think so. 
super hard question to answer. I mean, I, I see it all as an opportunity. Where there's a pro I don't see it as a problem, but more of a challenge, an opportunity. So if there's stereotypes, if there's fears, if there's concerns, let's go all in and try to reverse those things. And so the world does hate on the church. And the only way to solve that is to do something different and prove them wrong. And so by being out in the community, loving people, we're reversing the stereotype of the church, which is we're sitting in our ivory tower just hating on people. It's like, oh, you actually love people. So in our context, you know, the resource coordinator at the school that we meet in is one of the people we ask, what are the needs? Well, we started meeting needs, and then she started seeing us in the community, right. and again in the community, in different social circles. She came to the church and gave her life to Christ. Super cool, like wow. But a lot of that, honestly, she gave her life to Christ because she cares about people living below the poverty line. She cares about diversity and inclusion. And what she saw is a group of evangelicals all in loving, including, inviting. And she was like, I can't deny this, right? God loves, <laughs> God loves people. You guys are modeling that I want in. And so, it's a challenging thing to answer, um, but but just I think a lot of what our expression of church looks like today isn't what Jesus was doing, and he was all about going outside of boundaries, reversing stereotypes, hanging out with who he shouldn't, and even taking on a bad rap for that, mm -hmm. and I, I think theologically it's all there to encourage our people. We just got to be brave and do it. Yeah, I'm gonna let you say something, but you can't take your glasses off. Every time them. Chuck takes his glasses off, it's like the anointing hits and he goes for it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he keeps his glasses on. Yeah, I, evangelist Chuck Chuck. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, if you think back in the culture, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. You know, if we think back honestly in the culture, in my when I was young, raised in the church, people came in and visit our churches off the street, right? I mean, we had a lot of visitors come to our churches. And so with that culture, if we're not careful, we can stay in that culture, but we're seeing why a lot of churches are dying today. This is not something that uh, we can't think about doing, about getting out and getting into our community. It's something we must do, because if you don't do it, the church is gonna die. It's gonna be dead. Okay? I call it, in our church, our niche. Lord, give me, what's our niche for our city? We don't want to just do another Easter egg hunt. We just don't want to do this, but what is what is our niche? What are we, what are we going to do in that city? What are we going to do to make a difference? Because I'm finding out, let me just give you a good example. Uh, we have a pantry that we feed about 350 people a month. One day I was in my prayer closet at the church praying, and I said, Lord, what can I do to reach this community? And he says, I'm bringing them right to you. What else do you want? And so what I decided to do, when they're waiting on that food, we have an opportunity to, to rub shoulders. So every third Thursday, I don't set no appointments. I don't do nothing. And I rub shoulders with those people. And what's taking place, other people in the church are seeing me do that. And they're seeing what it's doing for our church. So they're getting involved in it. And guess what I'm able to do? I'm able to step back because they've got they've gotten a heart for it. 
And so I think there's, it's not about, I'll say it again, it's not about us thinking about doing this or doing that. It's biblical. Right. It's what we're supposed to do. Amen. We're supposed to rub shoulders with the sinner. Amen? Amen. Right. And so uh, that's just my little two cents. I'm going to put my glasses on. <laughs> he dropped them. That was his form of mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> drop the cord. Drop the cord. I would say uh, one of the materials is uh, I'm just, that came to my mind is a, a book called uh, uh, The Grasshopper Myth yeah. by Carl Vader. Mm -hmm. you that one? Mm -hmm. it, Carl Vader is an assembly guy pastor out in California, pastors a small, a small church, and it's all about. Joshua Caleb, the grasshopper bit, you know, like finding your, helping to find your niche and be all right with that. Yeah. We're not in competition. I think Ken, uh, Sean said that. He's like, you know, there's 57,000 people that need Jesus, but we're all fighting over this this 18% that attend somebody else's church. Mm. And we got 82% that are still available. So grasshopper myth. And Carl Vader actually wrote another one called The Small Church Essentials. So being like, you know, it doesn't, this doesn't make a difference what size church you are. Yeah. You're still called to engage. Yeah. I think I, what is interesting, let me just kind of, mm -hmm. I'm like coming to just an assessment, like you have people just start prayer walking. Mm -hmm. How much did that cost? Nothing. Cost nothing but people giving their time. And then it came back behind to, oh, yeah. a, a half a gallon of milk and some eggs and, you know, three bucks yeah. in there just to walk up to somebody's door. We went into a community neighborhood and we just brought bread. Yeah. And we just said, hey, we've got, we had a whole, mess of bread that we were, so we just walked door to door in the projects and started giving bread and we ended up with a church inside that group mm. eventually. It died when we, when they tried to bus them to the church, the, the big church mm. because it mm. lost their context and suddenly it was like, well that's those mm. people instead of it being their leaders. That's right. yeah. So it's like getting in the, getting in the, the trenches right there. Yes? So if you're, if you're trying something, I'm just going to repeat so that they can hear it on the mic. You're trying something, you're doing outreach, and uh, how do you judge maybe it's the success or the impact? I'm going to take the word success back and say let's use the impact. Effectiveness, is it a good return on, on value of what I'm putting out? And so how long do you... How long do you go through that? Gary, why don't you, you went mm, first. All right, because I was thinking, I hope he's you guys like, answer that. Yeah. You well, I can try to answer it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like Just Josh was saying, I think the more we can do um, low cost, lightweight, but high impact experiences, the better. So I would caution against starting a program and just start these really easy, simple pop-up. You know, ministry is people. So right. it's all about people connections. The only thing you're trying to do, no matter how you do it, is have quality time face-to-face -face with the person. Yeah. You can accomplish that so many different ways. It's really not about what you do. It's just about getting out. Mm -hmm. And if you get out and you say, Holy Spirit, lead us, yeah. God loves people more than we do. God's already at work by his Holy Spirit drawing people to Jesus. And so the, the whole Henry Blackaby uh, experiencing God, join God where he's at work, yeah. right? Um, that, that principle, I think, plays out every time. So I'll just give you, like, 
real quick snapshots. First time we meet Moses, you know, guy with tattoos on his neck, hand him bread, milk, and eggs, ask him how we can pray with him. Second time, I see Moses when I'm driving through an apartment complex, I wave to him. Third time, I see Moses at a um, block party where we're handing out backpacks, and he meets a friend of his, and that friend happens to attend People's <coughs> Church East. So all of a sudden, there's this credibility. He's had positive interactions. Now his friend comes to our church. Oh. Fourth time I see Moses at another block party at another apartment complex. We talk. He gives me a high five, and he brings it in for a hug. And I'm like, whoa, God, what's happening? Fifth time I see Moses at another apartment complex at the steps of his cousin, who has also started attending our church and giving her life to Christ. He hears that we're doing water baptism, streams tear down his, tears stream down his face, and he says, I gave my life to Jesus years ago, but I was never water baptized. We pray to recommit his life. The next Sunday, he comes to church in his jeans, and we baptize him. That, that almost was like super low energy. It was all quality people interactions, and honestly, it's just God. Right? It's just God at work in his life. Amen. That's a good one. I think uh, from our side, we are very much an engagement in our community from our, our church concept, too. And it, it, you just got to figure out where that ebb and flow is. You know, when I look at are the volunteers, are people wanting to do it? If they're pulling back, that's a sign. Is the funding there mm -hmm. to do it? We do a, uh, an event called Picture in the Park, Movie in the Park. And if you ever do that, make sure you buy the license from like Swank or somebody. <laughs> CCLB does not count. All right, you've got to pay five to six hundred dollars to show that movie in public. Just FYI, and Disney has rules. I'll just because they will show up. They have shown up on some of our Assembly God churches out their doors, and the lawyers have called and said you cannot show that. And so you have to pay. We pay, we pay five to six hundred dollars every time we show one of these movies. Do it three times a summer, and we'll put a prayer tent up. Sometimes we'll show free hot dogs. We'll do movies. We'll do, uh, we have a live band playing like 60s, 70s, 80s, old, you know, rock, all this kind of, whatever, all the way through. They'll do uh, face painting, balloon animals, uh, all these things, whatever. And uh, this, our village, our community pays for it. Our, the, the mayor pays for it. We do all the volunteers. And so it's about a $6,000 event throughout the three of them through the summer. And they pay for the whole thing. And so the mayor is like, let's go bigger. And then our people are like, and some for them may just be, they may never engage the individual, but they're there flipping hot dogs, turning hot dogs. And they're like, we have a team that of like, that's our biggest volunteer team other than our our pantry. Amen. And so it, it, some of the natural things is money drying up for it, um, is volunteers drying up for it, has leadership dried up for it. If suddenly leadership is beginning to back out, it's all right to kill a sacred cow. So it's all right to have to be willing. Yeah, you have to be willing. It's, it's all right to somebody say because sometimes we pick it up and then we're like, well, like sometimes we need a vacuum. You want, we need a new leader? Then stop doing that event or stop doing that and let that hole suck somebody into it. Right? Yeah. That's what vacuums do. They suck. Mm -hmm. They pull people right into those depths. Um, I want to. One of the big questions that I asked early on in my church. I met with uh, this guy that's a national, international business developer. I was on a boat in the Maumee River. He had just paid for my dinner. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the back of the boat as a 20, a 31 year old. And I say, 
and he's multimillionaire. And I say, how do I engage the businesses in my community? It's not just the people, it's the individuals. How do you engage the businesses? I, you shared one thing with us too, but you can go. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to share, that, uh, I, th I think this is a problem, one of those low, low, what's the word you use? Oh, doesn't doesn't talk weight. much. Here's a great idea to impact the businesses in your community. You pick a date, uh, give yourselves at least six weeks, and you say to everybody in your church, every business that you go to, I want you to get their business card. Every business, tattoo parlor, uh, grocery store. It's really actually becomes kind of fun because like if you're at a restaurant, you ask for the, uh, can I see the manager? They always assume you had a worm in your soup or something, you know. But when they come and you say, we pray on this night, we're praying for every business in our community. Could I have a business card? And we gather and you get like 50, 100, as many as like 1,200. It's amazing how many cards you get. And then what you do, what we do on that night, is you bring everybody into that prayer meeting. You have your church and let them know this is our, this is our bless the city night. This is our bless the city night. And you put the, the business cards in a big container. And what, you have, what we do is we come up, we take like five or ten at a time. And you take that season. And we, here's the, the things that uh, we ask to do. Okay, so here's what I want you to do for these next one. Go through these cards and do this. We're going to pray these four things. We're going to, one, pray for the owners to become saved or drawn closer. Number two, we're going to bless the people who work there. God, show them your kindness. God, we pray for them. Because some of them are going to have names that they'll write on them. Three, we're going to pray for peace in their relationships. It's really uh, Jeremiah 29, 7. Yeah. This is the whole basis for the whole thing. Pray for the city where I've called you, because if they prosper, you prosper. And then last, we pray, God, increase their bottom line. Whatever their business is, God, increase their bottom line. It, does, it begins to connect you with the businesses in the community, because all of the people in the church are saying it, and it's really good to ask for the owner or the manager because they assume it's a problem, and then you can say, could I have a business card? On this night, our church is praying for every business that we have a card for, and it works. It's a good connection. Do you follow up at all with any of those businesses other than personal conversation, or what's the next step? Having in Ohio, what we did at the church prior to here yet is we would pick a card, uh, and we would send flowers or we would send uh, cookies like people in the church would bake cookies and like uh, you know like the local music store I remember Nick got it one well, he's one of the names we pulled somebody in the church baked cookies we took them down there we because they assumed you forgot about us yeah. but you pray about them and you just find another way to connect with them that's good uh, pray for one draw them closer or, or get them saved number two Bless the people who work there. God, show them your kindness. Here's the scripture, and you all know it. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not my ability to preach. It's his kindness. God, if you'll show them your kindness, I know they'll come around. That's good right there, huh? That is good. Yeah, I, uh, I took, uh, when I asked that question of my, uh, the, that guy in the boat, he said, what do you want the business leaders there for? Are you just mm -hmm. wanting their money? Or you wanting to impact the yeah. sphere of influence? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not a good answer, but but to be able to step back then and say, okay, I want to look at them more than just a financial, you know, financial blessing to us. But how can I impact them and taking that threat? So we became members of our chamber of commerce right away. 
Yeah, be a member of your chamber of commerce. And they're like, well, you're a church. And here's the thing, they'll sit, I'll sit down with business owners and they'll be like, well, you know, you're just a pastor. I said, listen, how many employees you got? Like five. I mean, I said, I got about 40 volunteers. How much do you pay your employees? I have volunteers. I don't have to pay them to show up. So I said, let's talk about, you know, and I've got a relationship at one point and I can give them back to them because once they hear you're a pastor, they don't want to talk to you or say those languages. So, one, you know, get involved in your business community. Get involved in your chamber of commerce. Don't expect, just don't go there because they're expecting money. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't be like, hey, I, I wanna, I'm hoping to get money out of you. That will come. I mean, I show up at certain events you and people, they just, yeah. I got guys that show up at chamber meetings and they, they, say, they see me and like, hey, I haven't sent you something. And they'll just write a check and I'll see a $500 check come in the mail like a week later. Or they'll involve and do those things because they've just spurred the contact that I was in their business or doing something within it. Mike? Uh, first of all, we're the only church in our chamber of commerce, so I know how that goes. And that's a great thing. And you can be all the, ch anytime there's an event, you can do children's ministry or youth or whatever to impact, engage, bring the sound equipment to every event. You know, like you got it. Let me, let me just say, kind of a summary of what you guys are saying. The filter by which we look at our outreaches and we try to make sure that they're all free. Number one, they're organic. Oh, they're, they they're come through organic. our church's DNA, through our history. It's the idea that somebody in the church has. It's a community need we see. Number two, it's got to be compassion-based. We're meeting someone's tangible, felt need. Mm -hmm. And number three, and, and this bucks against Assembly of God's practices for decades, we are famous for our annual events. Well, this is, it's got to be relational. It's mm -hmm. not once a year. It's got to yeah. be something that you can do on an ongoing basis for the people. Well, you kind of heard almost all these things. You have the prayer on, by, by doing it ongoing or having some follow-up mm -hmm. to it. Really, all the needs that they've just, or things that they've talked about are all ongoing things. They're not just really flashes in the pan. Right. Mm -hmm. They're being involved in people's life on mm -hmm. a regular, regular, consistent basis. Um, any, any last closing comments? Any dying, dying last minute questions? I do have one final question. Yes, sir. How do you determine the difference between outreach and evangelism when you host the event so that the response that you get yeah. doesn't disappoint you? So how do you determine between the, the yeah. outreach or evangelism so the response that you get doesn't uh, cause you to be disappointed uh, at the end? You got well, I, this, that's a really good question. Yeah. So when I first got called into the ministry, God, God called me to street evangelism. I drive myself to the mall, 16 years old, really annoying, you know, where are you going, spend eternity, that kind of deal, right? And finally I learned to listen to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave me meaningful connections. But I'm in a totally different place now where in our, our visible presence in the community is about being salt and light and it's more of an outreach, it's engagement and building relationship, it's not sharing the gospel. And in our specific context, that is working, that those individuals, families are then coming to church and hearing the gospel. And so we have a prayer tent available, people are equipped to share the gospel, but really what we're trying to do is be salt and light, engage people, just build relationships and connections and then we're seeing people come to Jesus on Sunday mornings, so that's what's happening. I felt the, um, did you, did you have I felt like maybe the hair on the back of some of y'all's necks went up, like you don't preach the gospel. Like you say, but there's other, what do they, you know, the old cliche, sometimes the only Bible they read is your life, the way you live. You know, if you have 
just to be out there and be available. We, we've been known as the community church that does the pictures in the park. And eventually they show up. Eventually, I, uh, closing comments on my side would be like, find your chiefs in your community yeah. and get to connect with your chiefs, your superintendents, your, I, I'm very good friends with the editor of our newspaper in our community. And I want, and so we were, we're in there almost every single week because mm -hmm. we're involved in this event or this activity. I pray at the Groundhog's Day event. I have a Groundhog's <laughs> Prayer that I pray. I did, I, I have a Groundhog's Prayer. <laughs> I did, I share it with him. Yeah. I did share it with him. Lord, let the, may this new weather, what did I say? This, may, new, may this new weather forecaster be better and more accurate than the 13% accuracy of our yeah. two late you know, weather casters. <laughs> and, and so the news was there, all that kind of stuff. It was, it's awesome, it's a great event. And uh, my wife's like, you're the only one that I know that would play the Groundhog's Day. But <laughs> health and peace, praise God. You know, but, so, but it's those kind of things like that. You're just in a relationship. That family that puts that on, I get a personalized card from them every, yeah. every Jan mid-January saying, is this day February 2nd on the calendar? Do you have your, your baking competition? We raised several thousand dollars for uh, veterans work in that event with about 70 people at Several thousand dollars is raised for veterans for that day. You know, like, we're, I want my name attached to that. I want our name attached to all these, you know, partnerships, community. You don't have to do it yourself. Do it with other members of your community. I would say, engaging your community, depending on where you're at. If you did not hear about Revive Ohio, there's a, there's a group called Revive Ohio that was there. You just did Revive Ohio. Yeah. So Mark Bird, these are things that ways you can engage your community. Anything else? Sean, you got to close? Uh, I'll close my part. Um, so I think back to your question about people shrinking back. I just sit here thinking, uh, I try to remind my people, Jesus said I send you as lambs among wolves. And so when we start thinking it's lambs among lambs, we get in trouble. Like there are wolves waiting to devour you. And so we, of course that drives us to seeking the spirit. Right. And if Holy Spirit doesn't go, we're not going. And so we pray for that. Uh, Chamber of Commerce, absolutely, uh, you know, hit that to get your business owners. And then we went, or I went to the, uh, our previous mayor who I had a lot in common with. Um, you know, he's, he's a believer. Um, he, the previous mayor was a believer and we shared a lot of conversation. Uh, we got him to form something called the Mayor's Commission of Churches. And so in the city, before they would call a city ordinance on somebody for letting their grass grow too high and stuff like that, we said, hey, call the church first. Let us go mow their grass. Let us go fix their porch. Let us go fix their gutters. Before you give them a fine, give the church an opportunity to, to take care of that. And so uh, he, he was great because it's gonna make the city look better. And so um, we, we did that, still, still in operation. Um, and then we asked him, what, what's broken the city? What do you need? Not just people, but what do you need money-wise for our city? And so uh, this example for us, our city pool was not going to be able to be open. It needed repairs. It needed uh, to really be updated. And um, altogether, it was like 20, 28 grand uh, that was needed for the pool. So uh, our, a group of churches that we, our, our road group, we met together. Hey, what can we do? And uh, we, we formed this thing called the Color Run and had people come run a 5K, raising funds for our city pool. Doesn't sound real spiritual, but how great was it? People had to check to the mayor to cover all the repairs 
uh, for the city pool. It didn't cost the city a dime. And it had extra money. And we said, tell you what, take that extra money and give all the kids free entry into the pool as long as that money will, money will last. And so then whenever families would go to the city pool, it was like, you know, this pool and your admission is covered by these nine churches that, that came together uh, and did that. So it wasn't preaching a gospel message, but at the same time, it was, <laughs> hey, just blessing our city. And um, so our mayor has since switched, and we got a new mayor, and he, he's, a, he's a Catholic uh, fellow, and uh, a little more liberal than what our previous mayor was. But he's continued this mayor's commission of churches, meet with them. I meet with them at least once every two weeks just to pray. I said, I don't want to come talk politics. I want to pray over you, your wife, and your kids. And um, so that, keeping your, pole, your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your city, because um, we're watching on the wall, guys. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. This is my city. Yeah. And so my kids grow up here. My, unless they move, my grandkids are going to grow up here. I don't want drugs overtaking my city and prostitution and brokenness everywhere. And for my grandkids, look at me and say, you know, if you had an opportunity, what would you do? Well, I preached. No, we, we impacted our city. And so uh, that's what drives right. us on the outside. And on the inside, generational gaps is our biggest hurdle we had to overcome. I don't know about your church, but for mine, Older people have one mindset, younger people have another mindset. We don't talk about it, but it's like the, uh, the elephant in the room all the time. And so I just took my people through rebuilding the walls, and I said, hey, they did the same thing. They rebuilt the second temple. The old people wept, the young people shouted, because the old people knew how it used to be, and the young people never saw how it used to be. And because they fought, they stalled building the house of the Lord. Go back and read it. They just worked on their own house. And the Samaritans that nobody liked offered to come down from the north and say, hey, we'll help you rebuild. And thank God Zerubbabel said, no, we don't want your help. Why? Because you will compromise it from the foundation. And I'm telling you, if we don't solve these internal conflicts between my way versus your way, the world, the Samaritans, will offer to help. And we'll take building materials that will make it toxic from the beginning. And so get your church healthy. This is who we are. This is what we're going to do. And... Um, and that, so, again, that's back to your DNA building. That's good. He took his glasses off and, shoo, dropped it. No. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for being here and engaging with me. Let me pray for you before you go. Father, we just thank you today, Lord, and uh, I thank you for each one of our panelists here today. But Father, we also thank you for what you're about to do within the dreams, within the heart, where we stir up the creativity, we stir up. The, the dreams, the desires, the, the gifts within each one of these in this room, whether they serve from the pulpit to the pew, Lord, to the parking lot, whatever, or the businesses, all through. Lord, we pray that those gifts will be stirred and there will be a desire, but also a compassion, a place of passion within their hearts. Lord, I pray for words. I pray for uh, the mentality. Lord, if they're the block, Lord, that you shift their minds and shift their hearts. Lord, send them. Use us in this room. Father, to help engage our community, the sphere of influence that you've given to us. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each one of them today. In Jesus' name, amen.